Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. People criticize it for its energy consumption, but that, that kind of harks back to my point about, well, if you use Bitcoin to finance solar, then actually you've got this positive energy balance. You get four times as much energy by financing a solar panel with Bitcoin than to create the Bitcoin. Hey there, solar warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Welcome to episode 124. And I'm so pleased that you've chosen to spend some time with us again today, so thank you for that. Today's entrepreneur is a climate change scientist who laid down his pen and he picked up the PV panel, so to speak, and he has accomplished some notable firsts in the industry. Stay tuned to hear why Abe Cambridge left London for South Africa to build the first nanoscale solar leasing platform and how blockchain is helping pull it all together. Now, while some of us in the tribe are having a blast here in Miami at CREF, I'm grateful that the rest of you are taking some time out of your busy week to join me for another episode of Suncast. You can find more great founder stories and solar startup advice in the other 123 episodes archived over at mysuncast.com. While you're there, check out the Suncast tribe where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Just click on the member button to learn more. Now get ready to tune up your skills, solar warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Hey, Warriors, a quick shout out to my recent tribe members, Dan, Jafrida, and Luis Huang. And hey, Luis, thank you. Really great to meet you down in Anaheim, man. Encourage you guys, uh, whenever we're in a, a place like, uh, you know, SPI or CREF, come up and say hi. I really do love meeting you guys out in the real world face to face. Also, a thank you to Regan. Keller of Antenna Group. The Antenna Group are so great. Thank you for helping coordinate that interview last week with Bruce Levy of BMR Energy. And finally, a huge thank you to Caroline Skinner of Sun Exchange for reaching out to suggest Abe Cambridge as today's guest on Suncast. You see, folks, it really does help. It really does happen. If you think someone should be on Suncast, reach out. Let me know. And now, on with today's episode. Abraham Cambridge is a British born solar entrepreneur who establishes business and projects around the world that use solar energy as a means for bringing about major socioeconomic shifts. In 2010, he was a pioneer in the UK for utility scale solar, and he now lives in South Africa where in 2014 he launched the Sun Exchange. The Sun Exchange is an interesting business, and if you listened to Nick Gogarty's episode on solar coin, he mentioned the Sun Exchange, and, and it was what precipitated this interview. The Sun Exchange is a solar energy crowdfunding marketplace that allows anyone, you, me, anyone around the world, to earn from solar panels powering Africa. Welcome to Suncast, Abe. It's a pleasure, Nico. Thanks for having me on. You know, part of my mission with Suncast is to get inside the story, the minds, the triumphs and travails of entrepreneurs, not just in the U.S., but around the world who are making meaning and bringing solar power to to the world. And I think that not only is what you're doing noble, it's very necessary. Uh, and I want to dig in and understand how uh, you are changing business models and lives. But before we do that, 
I think that your background is is quite interesting, and it and it would illuminate here for Suncast listeners how you made your way to to South Africa. So let's start a little bit further back, uh, going into uni for you. Uh, you're a climate scientist. Help us understand how you made your way from climate science over to developing some of the first solar projects in in the UK. Uh, yeah, well, they 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 are entirely connected. My background is in physical geography. Uh, as an undergraduate, and I specialised in paleoclimatology, which is studying how the Earth climatic systems have changed throughout millennia, not even millennia, eons. You know, since the Earth was formed, we've gone through all these different waves and cycles of how the planet works. And it became very clear that we are really, really doing an uncontrolled experiment here, quite alarming. I wrote a paper on how to simulate climate change for uh, the Seychelles in uh, the Pacific Ocean. Was it the Indian Ocean? Sorry. And uh, off the back of that, I got a scholarship to study a master's degree in the science of climate change at UEA, which is one of the world's leading climate change research facilities. Now, after about my first term or semester uh, for the guys across the pond, I came to be that actually there's no point like looking at this problem in any more detail than we already understand it. We just increasing the resolution on our certainty about these problems we're, we're creating. Uh, so it seemed like a, a waste of time just to carry on looking at the problem. Let's start working on the solution. So right. I started, started working on environmental management systems and environmental um, impact assessments. And it, everything kind of pointed down to the fact that energy is the biggest environmental impacts that we have. So I mean, I, I mapped out the, the environmental impacts of the University of, of UEA where I was studying. And energy was by far the biggest impact without anything else, like waste, water, but whatever it was, energy was it. Um, and this is back in 2007. So I started doing my dissertation on uh, solar energy feasibility. Like actually, if you're going to solar power this university, what would it look like? So I ended up doing a feasibility study actually for a local hospital instead, because uh, it had a, a more um, even energy demand throughout, throughout, it, throughout the year. Um, and the, you know, the results, as I was coming to the end of, end of my, um, my degree, I realized that the results were pointing to like the fact that solar energy was falling down at such a rate that it was about to be feasible. I mean, it wasn't feasible at the time, but it was on the cusp of being feasible. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is actually about to happen. Like, We're literally about to, to transition to something where solar power is about to become the dominant energy force. And I, I remember I was at a music festival and I looked up at the sky and I saw an airplane do a loop-the-loop. And I was like, 100 years ago, we didn't have airplanes. And now we've got a million people in the sky. I'm like on Wi-Fi, like drinking champagne and having chicken tikka masala on an aircraft at 40,000 feet. And 100 years ago, we didn't have any aircraft. It's like if we put our minds to it, we can, within 100 years, have a completely solar-powered planet. It, was right. such a, it inspired me so much that I just went back, handed my dissertation early, and applied for a job to be a solar panel installer for a company called Plug Into the Sun in Cornwall, where I was from. So I spent the summer of 2008 stripping a roof of concrete tiles and putting in solar century c21e solar slates yeah. like the product the product that tesla launched <laughs> last year i was installing 10 years ago i realized actually the installation team was the most important part of this job so i set up as a workers cooperative because the industry was very boom and bust and i thought it was very unfair that you know, installers were being treated as expendable commodities as and when a business um, sort of went went through the the boom was a bust. The solar cycle installers were being laid off. Uh, so I set up a workers' co-op so that anyone who was an installer in the company was an owner of the company. And so that was kind of my, my, my entry point into the solar industry was, um, was through, through that installation job and then setting up a solar 
installation company. This is 2008. So that's brought you up to my entry point into the solar industry. Yeah, yeah. welcome to the solar industry. <laughs> and, uh, and in a big way, you know, in 2008, solar in Europe was in a veritable boom 2005 to 2008 no, it, was not, not, not in not in uk at the time that's, it's still that's a, right it's still, it's still a very cottage industry in the uk yeah and it was still very much a boom in spain and germany mm. to that end in the us i was buying solar panels at north of five dollars a watt what a fascinating time to get into the industry and one of the things that i've noted from our previous conversations and just now as you explained and i don't want to gloss over your penchant for not just taking action but taking action in a way that I'm going to say looks out for the for the little man, right? That looks out for the most common denominator in the industry. The fact that you started a company alone, it puts you in a different echelon of folk who are willing to take action and risk. But you started a company that from its outset decided to give back. It wasn't all about you and creating a legacy for you. And that really sits with me. So that first company was called Silicon Vineyard. And you guys know uh, that was the first company was called the Renewable Energy Cooperative, which ah, okay, was the sure. installation company. Yeah, Silicon Silicon Vineyard was the the solar project development company that we set up a couple of years later, which Got is it. a whole other story. Yeah, well, it is, and and, and I don't want to yeah. belabor too much the history of your work, but I think it's important, you know, for folks to understand that you do really have inherently an, a very deep understanding of the modeling of the cost of solar, and you've thought deeply about how solar can be proliferated. You know, Silicon Vineyard did the first megawatt scale solar project in, in the UK, took advantage of the feed-in tariff program. You know, obviously you were watching, you were on the sort of the boom cycle of solar in the UK. I watched from afar as that began to crumble. How did that affect the next phase of your career? It was an incredibly, almost a surreal time. I mean, 2008 was the start of the like the economic collapse of the the planet, basically. Mm-hmm. And I decided at that moment to start up a business. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it's like, but at the same time, if you can get a business working in uh, in one of the biggest economic downturns on on, on human record, then it's got to be a good a good sign, right? That you can kind of uh, handle handle adversity. Two years after starting renewable energy cooperatives, yeah, the feeder tariffs came in, in in 2010. And at the time, the feeder tariffs were set at solar module prices, sell prices from like 2008. And no one thought to recheck them. When people were installing five megawatt solar power plants, at 40 pence per kilowatt hour feed-in tariff rate, plus export, plus energy, energy savings you can take into account if you're feeding through someone's grid. And then you're like, people are earning 25, 30% returns on this. Yeah, and we went from struggling trying to get people to install systems um, completely unsubsidized, as you say, five dollar a watt module prices, um, and now we're now we've got the Germans, the Spanish, the Italians, the Americans, everyone coming to Cornwall, which is this tiny county in England, actually the poorest county in England, just because it's the so southwesterly point of Britain. It was right. like the epi- epicenter of this new solar industry, and uh, and we had people like. Uh, takes me out for dinner, trying to court us to try and get our projects. And it was all very, very surreal. Um, and I was, right. only, I was only like 23, 24. Wow. Um, and, uh, so we ended up building a pipeline of 60 megawatts of, um, of utility-scale solar projects made up of you know, one to five megawatt systems. But then in 2012, the government changed, the, uh, the like what we call the Condem government, the, the collaborative government between the Conservative Party and the Liberals came in. And they basically just uh, retrospectively cut the feeded tariff. I mean, not just saying like in a six months time we're cutting it. They, they mm-hmm. actually cut it backwards 
which is a disaster for the industry. All the investment pulled out. No one had confidence anymore what was going on. Uh, all our pipeline had to locked up. We couldn't execute any of our projects. And uh, so yeah, we, we ended up having to liquidate the company because we couldn't commit, couldn't deliver on the, the promises we'd made to a lot of our off-takers. So it was, it was very unsettling. And it's the same thing that happened in Spain. You know, if you subsidize an industry, then it's, that's a political decision maker. It's a, it's, a, it's a regulatory attitude which enabled that industry. Now, don't get me wrong, I've studied environmental economics. I understand how important economic drivers are uh, and these levers which get pulled to, to catalyze industry. And that's great. And the industry wouldn't have started if it was not for the Germans and, and feeding tax. But as a result, when it turns the other way and those, that political persuasion shifts, then you realize that the, the market was being artificially stimulated. Mm, yep. And so I started to look overseas to Sonia Climbs. And you found your way through a job, uh, which you had to go get because of the economic crisis and the, and the downturn yeah. in the UK. Found your way into South Africa, thanks to DNVGL, and realized that here you are again in a market where, which should have solar, but doesn't. So we'll use that as the, as the jump off point. Tell me a little bit about the realization you went through and, and you can't help yourself. You have to start companies and you have to figure out how to bring solar to the world. Let's use this as a, as a jump off point to explain how Sun Exchange was born. Yeah, so uh, I moved out to, to South Africa to work on uh, what was called the, uh, I, the South African government loves seven letter acronyms. So like I, I came out here for the, the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producers Procurement Program, otherwise known as the RAIPPPP. Um, and this is like um, 80 megawatt solar plants out in the desert supplying electricity to the state-owned utility, which is ESCOM. These projects are like three, four-year timelines. No one ever sees them. They don't know they exist. And I'm sat here in the CBD, the, the city center of Cape Town. Roof space is everywhere, basking in sunshine, 365 days a year, and there's no solar panels in sight. And like, what's going on here? Mm. Um, and the, I mean, the solar radiation, the solar yield available in South Africa is double that of Britain. It was like, what, why, why, why does this not exist? Why aren't the solar panels? It was because there was no finance available. Um, it's an immature solar market. The, the lenders and the financial institutions who were backing solar in South Africa were backing the sovereign-backed massive-scale utility projects, and they were queuing up in this huge competition for them. Uh, but the smaller commercial industrial side of the market completely unmet by existing financial products. Um, and at the same time, I realized that obviously the solution here was to take the kind of the cooperative model that we that we rolled out in Britain. We set up solar co-ops so that individuals who can't afford whole solar systems can buy into a cooperative um, and therefore access returns from solar from a solar business they're a part owner of. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously the cooperative model is very bureaucratic. You've got to have AGMs, there's limitations and restrictions on who can join them and how much they can put in. But at the same time, I, I understood that this kind of collaborative approach is very, very powerful. And in 2014, the kind of the crowdfunding phenomenon were really kicking off. You've got like Crowdcube and Lending Club, and Indiegogo and Kickstarter, basically all these kind of crowd platforms and mm. this kind of bringing together of individuals and kind of almost democratizing business models. And so I kind of realized that if you did that and combine that with so individual solar projects and then add in this amazing new technology, Bitcoin, like it's an international, transnational, frictionless, borderless payment system that can work down to eight decimal places. You can now have like nanoscale micro-leasing, wow. like nano-leasing. Oh, so people can now own an individual solar cell within a project on the other side of the planet and lease it out and earn an income from it, like by the kilowatt hour. Uh, essentially what you're then doing is you're streaming 
monetize sunshine from South Africa around the world using this transnational frictionless borderless payment system, Bitcoin. Um, so I kind of proposed this, um, I set it up on, uh, on Indiegogo just to kind of kickstart the company, build a prototype, did our first project at the Stellenbosch Waldorf School, um, and uh, we built up a bit of a crypto user community because we also raised some funds through Max Kaiser's Start Join platform, which is a platform very much geared towards blockchain businesses, crypto businesses in the early stage of the industry before there was such thing as an ICO. Uh, you had to go and raise funds the, the old-fashioned way. We went through uh, Start Join uh, to raise some, some, some uh, capital for that. And that's called Start Join? Start Join. It doesn't exist anymore uh, because um, it's not necessarily required because people now right. do ICOs to start money for crypto businesses. But we, you know, we raised some money through Indiegogo, which you know, got our first, aud- our first customers, our first audience. Yeah. And then when we, did our, when we did the same campaign on Start Join, that's where we found our first crypto audience. Now, oh, when we, by the time we launched our first project at the Stellenbosch Waldorf School, I mean, that was the first time in history that anybody was using cryptocurrency to finance solar plants. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, within, um, within a month of launching that project, we'd funded the whole thing. It was like a, a $30,000, $40,000 solar plant. It wasn't massive, but it was enough to power a school. And all through, 100% entirely through crypto. It was probably about 70% crypto because wow. some, of the, some of the parents in the school they, and the school themselves use local currency. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. from an international standpoint, the money came through cryptocurrency. Well, wow, this is fascinating. 100% yeah. of the international investment came through cryptocurrency. Uh, that project was how large? Uh, that was the 17 kilowatt solar plant. 17 that was kilowatt, back in yeah. And that was, that was our first, first solar well, modules uh, with uh, solar, solar edge optimizers. Yes, yeah, so you said this is 2015? This is 2016. 2016. So yeah, yeah, I just want folks to hear. In 2016, two years, almost three years ago now, they not only crowdfunded a project in South Africa, but they did it at about $2 a watt. We yeah. still in the United States have folks that can't find a way to get to two dollars or what you're raising your crowdfunding for a 17 kilowatt school in South Africa, for God's sake, yeah. at two dollars or what it blows with, my with, mind uh, with 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 our 1600 kilowatt hours per kilowatt yield. We had to put three modules per each optimizer. I'll uh, mm-hmm. use the OP 400 optimizer. So we don't get module level monitoring because obviously the, third, the first mm-hmm. solar modules run out 90 watts a piece. Um, but we, but so we're, opti- we're, we're basically got optimization on, on three modules per, per optimizer. I'm wondering if crypto crept in as an option along the way, or if from your perspective, you, you started out thinking, I'm going to go into this go- Indiegogo and raise money and crypto is going to be a core piece of it. No, it was, it was very much this, as I call it like the holy trinity of technologies. You've got like uh, decentralization, direct economic participation, peer-to-peer. Let's call it peer-to-peer. Yeah. And then you have decentralized energy systems, solar energy, democratic solar modules, anywhere. And then you've got this democratic decentralized energy, uh, sorry, finance system, Bitcoin. Yeah. So with those three components, you've got the foundation for a tiny new form of economy. Right. Total decentralization, a, a total upliftment and replacement of almost redundant uh, traditional systems. You know, you've yeah. got centralized fossil fuel production, centralized banking, and a very hard and, and difficult to transact internationally due to borders, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the age of the internet, it seems ludicrous that I, to send an international payment by my bank, I have to go into a physical bank with a form and send money. Yeah. I mean, that people, people don't appreciate maybe in, in the UK and maybe the United States how hard it is to send money over across borders in, a, in an emerging market. Right. And Bitcoin is the solution for that because I can now send a, a money like sending an email to anyone on earth in microscopic amounts or massive amounts yeah. and, do, and, do it, and do it instantly. People don't realize that's the point of Bitcoin. 
You know, I ask all the time in my hotter hype section around the nexus of blockchain and energy, and I get a lot of skepticism, principally from first world, mostly United States entrepreneurs who just don't have an application for it, right? They can't see connecting A to B. And it's the reason that I had Nick Gogarty on the show. It's the reason I wanted to have you on the show because I want yeah. folks in the bubble of sort of the secure, the secure markets of first world economies to see the value that not just blockchain, but cryptocurrency can bring to energy transactions globally. With that in mind, and I know you've got a million things you could say about that. Tell me about the underlying philosophy of Sun Exchange. You, you know, you shared with me the, the notion that anyone in the world can X, Y, Z. Okay, right? so I mean, basically most people in the world most sane people in the world <laughs> want solar energy to be the most dominant force of energy because it's the most obviously freely available right. sun. It's everywhere on earth. It's predictable. It's reliable. But most people in the world can't afford it because you've got to be able to buy a whole solar plant for your roof, your own home. Most people don't own their own home. They live in apartments or live in rented accommodation. And most people can't afford the whole solar plant. So you've immediately excluded practically everybody apart from this very, very niche, upper middle class, aspirational, good, like, great, I've got solar panels in my home. I drive a Tesla. Amazing. Well done, you. But for people that really need the actual income, the, the economic advantage of owning a solar panel, that's out of reach for most of the planet. Because of the advantages of working with microscopic level payments through Bitcoin, you can now have micro-level ownership of assets that are being leased from one side of the planet to the other. And I think this is part of the, the misunderstanding with, with blockchain applications. I think a lot of people have got some funny ideas about trading energy. Right. And I, find, and I find a lot of the ideas of blockchain energy trading platforms to be questionable, at least on a scalable, globally scalable side. And that's what generates a healthy skepticism around the whole no yeah, the notion. But, yeah. but exa exactly. And that's why people are trying to invent new, new coins, new tokens to trade energy. But actually, the most basic and most obvious and only proven use case of, of blockchain right now is Bitcoin because it's a global payment system right. and it works and it's infallible. All you want to do is transfer the value. You don't need to transfer the energy itself. You just need to, like, uh, with the ownership of a solar panel, it's my solar panel, it's my solar cell that I'm leasing to somebody on the other side of the planet. And the value that creates is sold for Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin is then transferred back to me wherever I am in the world and our platform facilitates all those transactions. Yeah. But not only that, but we are, we are basically the shop front for buying that solar cell in the first place. Yeah. So now you just go to a website, thesunexchange.com, buy a solar panel that's located optimally somewhere on the earth, lease it out for 20 years, and I earn Bitcoin from it as if it was just an income stream, when it is an income stream, paid in crypto. But it's still pegged to the value of the electricity that's being produced. But we've broken it down to a solar cell. So for now, for under $10, Anyone on earth can now own part of a commercially operating solar plant. And I mean a physical ownership of an do, actual solar cell. Do you know, the, uh, the thing that I regret most about, about this coming around after my birthday is that if, I, if we had had this interview before my birthday, I would have done a, a, a campaign for folks to like, just jump in and try it. and do you, I, yeah. Actually, in fact, I'm going to lay the gauntlet down for, for solar warriors. Reach out to me if you want to. I'd like to see investment in Sun Exchange at the solar cell level. I want to be able to talk about that and how the Suncast community has gotten involved. I personally am going to put money into it. I want to get into... So our current project's running. It's our seventh solar plant for a college called Sacred Heart College, which is very, very historic college. They were the first school in South Africa to go multiracial mm. um, in defiance of the apartheid government. They've always had a progressive history. 
And this way, we try to find projects that are creating a social good. Right. Um, or, or at least something which isn't just like refining oil or being an abattoir. We kind of mm. exclude some projects. And this project, there's um, 100,000, 108,000 solar cells for sale. Each one is obviously rated at four and a half watts. Each cell produces six kilowatt hours per year. That's being sold at one rand nine kilowatt hours, one rand nine cents per kilowatt hour. And we obviously, when you project forward the energy yield on that, it works out as around 11.69% IRR, which is obviously quite attractive. I mean, getting an 11% return from a, from a solar asset is pretty good. It's about the same as if you were to put solar panels on the roof of your own home, but it's now, at least it's now in a location that's optimal and you can now move home and you don't need to take your solar plant with you. It's always there on, on someone else's roof, powering some of it. I want to enunciate for those who aren't paying attention. Sun Exchange just gave you an opportunity to invest in a solar plant where you will get 13 cents US per kilowatt hour. If you can show me a project today where you can get 13 cents US per kilowatt hour, I will put my money in that. And until I can, I just found where I will be investing my money for solar. Uh, and I did not come into this interview, Abe knows it, uh, intending to uh, advocate for what Sun Exchange is doing. The money speaks for itself. Like this is, no, I, I actually want to give you a moment to talk about uh, the, the meta, and it's very meta, philosophy of why anyone who wants to invest in solar could and should do it through South Africa and why that matters. South Africa as a country, rather than the work, that, right, that, rather than the UK, the, the overall yield aspect, you know where I'm going with this. So I'll leave the platform to you to talk about it. Yeah, so the, obviously the solar yield of South Africa is double that of Britain. If you're going to own a solar panel, you put it where there's the most sun. It, it kind of goes without saying. Although, the, although electricity is worth more in, in the UK, it's not all about that because there's twice as much yield. Electricity prices are going to go up in South Africa. In fact, electricity costs in South Africa are going up by about 10% a year. Goodness. The grid in South Africa is predominantly coal-fired, like 90% powered by coal. So you've got one kilogram of carbon dioxide embedded per kilowatt hour on, on the grid. And then you're producing twice as much electricity. And that kilogram is about the, the embedded carbon per kilowatt hour on the grid in South Africa is double that of Britain. So when you're getting double the amount of electricity from your solar panel, you're getting four times the carbon emissions, so carbon emission savings from locating a solar panel in South Africa. So from a global climatic mitigation perspective, you've got a solar power markets which are coal powered, with which are sunny. And South Africa is is like number one target for that because there's so much energy use. I mean, Africa is largely unelectrified, but the way the where there is electricity being consumed, it's it's, it's, it's limited. I mean, the grid here is, is, has to be switched off in certain times of the year because yeah. there's too much demand. So you've got to put in new generation capacity. But the state-owned utilities here are working too slowly. There's not enough money available to build new thermal power stations, and they'll take 15 years. But we could solar power the whole country in 15 years. You don't mm. need to build a nuclear power station. You can solar power the whole continent in 15 years. And Are you raising on project by project, or how are you raising funds? Yeah, we do it project by project. I mean, really, really, what's going on here is you, you really are owning the solar panel. I mean, that's really yeah. it. You're not you're not investing into a fund. You're not investing into the Sun Exchange. You're buying a solar cell through the Sun Exchange. Yeah. You get a deed of title, your ownership certificate on that solar cell, a reference number on it, and you're choosing which project to lease it into. You can even have your solar cell back if you want to. We will actually go send you your solar cell, but there's a cost attached to it. Yeah. Um, but in, I don't know why you'd want to have just a solar cell sat in your living room because we're hosting it, insuring it, managing it, maintaining it. So what we're talking about here is a cell level mosaic. Basically, and a global as well, like borderless, yeah. Yeah. transnational. And, and one where, yeah. unfortunately, in, uh, in the US, mo mosaic uh, has had to move necessarily into an, a realm where not just anyone can invest in their fund, 
that was necessary for their scale. But a farmer in Mumbai can decide that because they found Sun Exchange and they've got four Bitcoin. Yeah. Actually, if they've got four well, Bitcoin, they're not a farmer in Mumbai well, anymore. Yeah. If you've got four, <laughs> if you've got four Bitcoin, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, but so, no, but I mean, basically, if, you, if someone who finds themselves with $10 or even less than $10 can now own a part of it, can now own a solar panel, they can own a solar cell and get an income from it. So you could be living in a shack in a township and owning a solar plant is, is something that's completely beyond your, your cap- capacity or capabilities, but now it's possible. Everyone has got a mobile phone. Sure. Most people have got smartphones. You can now you can now own a solar panel and get an income from it, which yeah. is better, which is which has got a greater return than holding money in a bank. What's the one question that no one asks you, or the one element that no one taps into that you feel like it surprises you? Uh, you okay. think people should be talking about it? I, and I tell you what, I tell you what this is about, right? So, I mean, I, I love Bitcoin. I love what it stands for. Um, and what it was, how it was created. Bitcoin was started at the peak of the economic collapse in 2008, 2009, that we've even discussed earlier on the call. And, and that, that was caused by um, banks creating toxic debts, like junk, junk bonds, all these things. Mm. Um, and they got bailed out by our governments trillions of dollars. Trillions. I mean, if you can add yeah. up the cost of all of the wars America could have involved with and all the space programs, it doesn't even come close to how much the Merrill Lynch's of this world got bailed out with. And in the Genesis block, like the first ever block laid down on the Bitcoin blockchain, um, the creators of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, left a message in that first block. And it was a, a, a newspaper article from January the 3rd, 2009, that said, Alistair Darling, Chancellor of the Exchequer, approves second bailout for banks. Basically bailing out the Royal Bank of Scotland with like £42 billion worth of public money because they messed up and they did a very bad job at being a bank. And so they got bailed out with public money. They call it a bailout. It's a bail-in, isn't it? How for public money to correct your mistakes. And then a year later, that bank paid themselves a billion dollars, a billion pounds worth of bonuses, despite reporting losses of 1.1 billion pounds in the same year. And these are the same people that got bailed in by the public the year beforehand. Because that's like the financial part of the picture. You know, visualize yeah. that. Like these guys yeah. are doing their job not very well and then getting bailed out by the public. Now, since then, those banks are going around the world financing fossil fuels. So the, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in, in North Dakota last year, there was the Standing Rock protests. Yeah, so there's a crude, a crude oil pipeline. And that crude oil, 500,000 barrels, barrels of crude oil per day, and that oil was sourced from hydraulic fracturing, like in itself an environmental disaster. And that was all bankrolled by the same institutions, which um, Bitcoin was set out to, to, to kind of displace and, and upgrade. So whilst fossil fuel investments still, still exist, and whilst banks are still investing in them, they're still winning. And they're still going to put money in those projects because they're worth a lot of money. So I, I, philosophically, I believe that cryptocurrency is the kind of bit they... It's this new, entirely new paradigm, a completely new framework within which we can operate. And it's entirely silicon-based because you've now got money being created on silicon chips. Like Bitcoin mining is basically a silicon chip powered by electricity. And that creates value. And when you convert that value into silicon chips that produce electricity, being solar panels, now that you actually get more electricity from that solar panel than it took to create the Bitcoin that financed it. Now, that's a positive feedback loop. That's a virtuous circle. Wow. So when you start financing solar panels from crypto, you then have this, like, you've now got this infinite supply of value to, to finance solar panels. And the solar panels producing you a return 10, 15%. And that's an entirely new economic paradigm. And that's what we're uh, tr- create catalyzing 
and building this kind of conduit for other people to get involved with. You've just displaced the energy system and the financial system with one infrastructure. You've, as, 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 as you tend to do, you've completely blown up my interview strategy. Uh, <laughs> my head is reeling right now. Uh, I hope that if you're listening to this, you are t- saying, as I am, to yourself, God, I needed reverse. I needed, wait, wait, rewind. <laughs> rewind three minutes. Go listen to that again. It's really pause right now. Back it up five minutes and listen to what Abe just said. The world that we operate in is changing. And this is why every time I ask in Hot or Hype, what's up with blockchain? How does it relate to energy? What about transactive energy? I'm trying to get at the underlying uh, economic philosophy that, that the world that is changing in the world. And Abraham is <clears throat> one of the few who's been, who've been on Suncast who can speak from an academic perspective. Nick Gogarty is another about what is really happening outside of our, like outside of the sheltered castle that we exist in, in the first world in, in the United States where seamless transactions are, are painless and, and you don't even have to think about it. You don't let's let alone have to do work or wait for it. I can send cash to you on the cash app or the PayPal app or the Venmo app or any app I choose. And our friends in, in Africa and India and many parts of uh, Latin America don't have that luxury in Venezuela. God knows they don't have that luxury. Yeah, and, and to take that to take that to the so, to the solar industry. Uh, I mean, in the UK, there are still feed-in tariffs available. They're, they're minor, and you have rocks and wrecks and various economic instruments available, tax incentives. But in emerging markets, they don't have that luxury. No. But what they do have the luxury of is lots of sun. Yeah. And what they also now have the opportunity of having this borderless transaction system. Now anybody can participate in the in the electrification of the emerging world whilst owning solar panels that are optimally located. In case you did miss it because you were trying to wrap your head around something else that Abraham said, philosophically, if your goal investing in solar is to offset as many carbon kilowatt hours or fossil fuel kilowatt hours as you can, then you should be seeking investments in areas where you can invest in the most kilowatt hour yield possible from every solar cell and if possible, invest at the cell level. That fundamentally is the change that Sun Exchange intends to bring to the world. And it's amazing, like, Within the Tropic of Cancer, right? Isn't it Tropic of Cancer? That's the center belt. Cancer is the north one because it's got N in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's ah, right. Okay. So, so within, well, within within the uh, the the equatorial belt is where the most sun falls on the Earth. And Tropic of Capricorn, it goes through Namibia and Chile, and so the, uh, the Atacama Desert and the, and the Namib Desert are, have got the highest solar yield in the world. Exactly. Um, both the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, uh, by the Northern Cape in South Africa has got some of the best, highest yielding solar projects on the planet. Precisely. And, it's, and, and so why, why not? And, and that's why a lot of uh, U.S. funds, a lot of uh, European funds invested in over three gigawatts of solar in the Chilean desert over the last... Which are, which are largely utility level or feeding right. in directly into mines. But that's exactly that, right. that leaves that, But that leaves SMEs and communities still without solar yeah. because those funds want massive projects. Yeah. And by the way, let's not forget that those who are investing in those funds are the very banks that we just said you know had to be bailed out and the very yeah. sovereign funds that it is not accessible by the common man we'll say it that way yeah. how long do you feel like it took you to develop the core skill set and understanding of of crypto and blockchain such that you could build a business around it well i mean i, I mean, having started working in with crypto in 2014 i mean that's that's really quite early i mean most people yeah. who have heard of it or getting into it, probably only the last two years I and mean, this is four years i'm talking about it's not a not a great time period in the grand scheme of things but actually in terms of crypto it is you know when yeah. i first got into bitcoin there was only like a handful of coins ethereum didn't exist there was no such thing as an ico 
Um, it was either Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, and that was about it. But I, I, I read several books on it. Um, I, I've been things I've been watching Bitcoin since 2009. I remember reading a New Scientist article on it when and it first came out and regretting. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I saw the price was like a cent, dollar, ten dollars, hundred dollars. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, it's now the most valuable currency in the world. Yeah. Um, but that without realizing that Bitcoin isn't actually a currency, it's a protocol, it's a transaction system, but the Bitcoins within that transaction system are limited in a finite supply. Right. So if you own Bitcoins, as more people use the network and transact with it, the more valuable those coins become. So the fact that Bitcoin price goes up was really a symptom that people are actually using this new network. Yeah. And then, but then people start speculating on the price of the Bitcoins the price goes up even more, but people are still using the Bitcoins for transactions. Mm. Um, so when we when we pay out our customers for their for their solar, we provide them with a Bitcoin wallet so they can access it easily, but they can withdraw it whenever they wish to. But there's a new system being introduced where it's actually live now called the Lightning Network, which means that you don't need to send uh, one, one transaction every 10 minutes, which you have to at the moment, mm. um, and pay a fee for each transaction. With the Lightning Network, you can now do infinite numbers of transactions as a transaction on a side chain. And these are the interesting innovations which are now happening in the Bitcoin blockchain space. So, but this stuff has all evolved as I've been into it. I mean, this stuff didn't exist when I started. So the whole, the whole, the whole sector is trying to learn how to make it work and make it grow at the same time as, as expanding. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, any entrepreneur who's trying to grow his company is learning as a CEO or, uh, or an executive in their company, they're learning about finance mechanisms and really this is a, for you a finance mechanism, a vehicle to attract capital. How much of your time, just as an allocation of time, do you spend studying, researching the application and underlying technology of blockchain and crypto versus going out and developing projects? I probably spend about a day, uh, sorry, um, an hour a day, an hour a day looking into advancements in the technology, Got it. what's going on in the market, and then discussing with our team, saying, yeah. okay, let's let's look at this this technology. But I mean, ultimately, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here when it comes to Bitcoin or blockchain payment systems because that's other people there's some of the smartest guys in the world working on this we're just using what they're building so we're just keeping abreast of the advancement what new developments can we integrate for example there's a new concept called atomic swaps and it sounds like uh, like some kind of weird nuclear experiment but actually atomic swaps is where you swap one cryptocurrency for another autonomously so you can now switch you can exchange between cryptocurrencies without going through a cryptocurrency exchange it's quite clever uh, but it's happening and it basically does away with exchanges. So we're contemplating integrating. Well, we all, we already host three cryptocurrency wallets on the Sun Exchange, or at least yeah. we're we're holding three coins. We're holding Solar Coin. Uh, so as our customers own, because our customers own the solar panels through the platform, we know what they own, so we can pay out their Solar Coin allocation to them automatically. So they claim their Solar Coin, they claim their Bitcoin, which is the their rental income for the kilowatt hours produced by the solar panels, which uh-huh. is paid to the currency, and they also get our cryptocurrency, which is called SunX which is our rewards program, which we've gamified to incentivize our customers to build a socially diverse, well, socially impactful and geographically diverse solar cell portfolio. So we already provide these wallets to our customers, but it's just one step further to do atomic swaps. You can switch between the currencies instantly without just having to hold one coin. They can basically convert all of their solar coins or, or SunX into Bitcoin or convert their Bitcoin into SunX or solar wow. coin. Just, just by switching between them, but this technology is still being built. Like uh, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting time to be alive because it's not like we've got all these off-the-shelf products. We're having to right. watch meticulously what's going on, and, and we b- b- take these really core innovations and make sure they've actually got a use. We're not just innovating for innovation's sake. It's got to solve a problem. How do you 
make money? And how do you afford to live in Cape Town, which obviously doesn't cost what it costs to live in the UK? But like my skeptical side says, oh, well, this guy got in in 2014 with people paying through Bitcoin. He potentially is just living off uh, the the valuation of his no, Bitcoin. No, no, I, I, no, I, I wish uh, I hadn't spent my Bitcoin. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I bought Bitcoin, but I, I just treated it as, a, as like a bank account. I, I bought Bitcoin, held it, and sold it. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to pay rent. I had to pay sell my Bitcoin. You know, so no, I, I didn't. I didn't. I was didn't become a Bitcoin millionaire in 2014. But what I did do was build a business with a real business model, which a lot of these, which a lot of blockchain companies kind of don't look at the business model like because there was no such thing as an ICO when I started. We actually had to build a business. So as we host a solar project, we put on a, a margin onto the value of that solar project. So we make an upfront fee. So it's, it's usually about 10% margin. So if we host a 100 kilowatt system, we'll put a $100,000 system, we'll, raise, we'll sell it for $110,000 to our customers. And then and that's our margin. So we make upfront costs. And then we also charge a servicing fee. So as we collect the, um, the rental payments for the lease payments from the off taker, and then and then deposit those back into our customers' wallets in proportion to their solar cell ownership. Um, then we take a service fee off that. So we have an ongoing annuity income stream. Uh, but we we know what our break even point is. Like we we've got to be doing a megawatt a month to break even. We're not doing that at the moment. But we but we raise yeah we we have a big company now right. We've got fourteen staff. We've got co- six six devs full time. But a megawatt a month is not unreasonable. I mean that's uh, we've just done a five hundred meg five hundred kilowatt system in two months. So we've basically got a double what we've done sit with that for a second guys abraham is sitting in south africa in cape town where there's no solar and his perspective is that a megawatt a month is not unreasonable and i can name 50 solar companies right now who would choke on a megawatt a month in the united states who who wouldn't know how to develop it let alone fund it but these but these are commercial industrial projects so these are 400 kilowatt projects you're just talking about two large commercial projects a month but because yeah. we're not the installer we're the market maker we're uh, connecting the solar installation companies so you we're, essentially we're the, yeah you are the funder you're the fund you're the mosaic of course yeah we're we're, we're the marketplace so we're mm-hmm. the aggregator so you've you said you, you can name 50 companies that can choke on that but i'm sure i bet each one of those companies has got a 500 kilowatt project that they would be desperate to install and they can't get the money if they can offer the at least a fully funded lease to their customer right. Right. so we've invited all the solar installers in the country to bring us their their shelved deals bring them to us, we evaluate them, we do a, 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 technical, a technical due diligence, economic analysis, we off-take, uh, onboard them, make sure that working to the, to the same, like a, a levelized um, contract system, like EPC agreements, O&M agreements, all levelized uh, templates, um, and, then, and then we host them, and, and uh, we, we invite our customers to own the solar panels in those projects, we handle the rest. So uh, well, that's how people ask us, how do you scale? Like, well, we're not installing, we're yeah. not developing either, we're, we're just bringing mm-hmm. all the projects which people want to get funded, and we host them. You scale through access, which is what, like, you know, you, you yeah. talk to folks like myself, and you, yeah. get, you get more people's brains turned on to the fact that Sun Exchange exists. I get it. What's something that you're routinely surprised that people misunderstand about Sun Exchange? I, I think it's like people often ask us, why, why Bitcoin? Like people think it's like we're trying to be cool, trying to be trendy. Like, why, why can't you just use the dollar? I'm like, well, if we use the dollar, we'd be excluding the Europeans and the Chinese. And in fact, everyone that doesn't want to use the dollar. Um, if we use the euro, we exclude the Americans. And it's like, we, we've got to use a currency as our base currency. But actually, we're doing projects in multiple countries, so can't really be a currency. you just got to be able to transact between countries. And therefore, the only solution is Bitcoin, a transnational payment system. 
Now that's that was the missing part. Piece. Yeah, and 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 this could be my uh, still nascent understanding uh, or or juvenile understanding, but within the cryptocurrency ecosystem, why not EOS or Ethereum? Well, for a start, EOS didn't exist when I started. Neither did Ethereum. Right. And secondly. Bitcoin still is got by far the greatest market cap. And all it was ever designed to be was be a, a payment system, a right. currency system. That's mm -hmm. what it was built for. Mm -hmm. It's in the white paper. EOS and Ethereum were not built for that purpose. They're built for computational processing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, the, the tokens can be used as a currency, but it's not what they were designed for. And the, the Ethereum has also got scaling issues. I mean, they, 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 they reached their block height, their block limit. When people were doing this thing called crypto kitties, people were trading cryptographic digital cats, literally like pets, like crypto tamagotchis, um, and the and the and the network ground to a halt. So I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's fine because it's, it's not as a payment system. But if your network grounds to a halt and it's being used as a payment network, that's a significant issue. At least the Bitcoin network can't be ground to a halt through people trading cats. Yeah. Um, and, and now you've got the Lightning Network on the side of it, you can now have infinite transactions. So those scaling issues have kind of been eliminated. Not entirely, let me get me wrong, it's not still not perfect, but at least we've, it's, it's been improved markedly since last year. Now you've got this thing called segregated witness, so uses less data per block and Lightning Network and there's various other upcoming innovations so if we're using Bitcoin because that's what it's designed for. And it's still got the greatest market cap. It's still the most valuable because people understand its security. I expect like the proof of work protocol. Yeah. People criticize it for its energy consumption. But that, that kind of harks back to my point about, well, if you use Bitcoin to finance solar, then actually you've got this positive energy balance. You get four times as much energy by financing a solar panel with Bitcoin that took to create the Bitcoin. And it's still decentralized and anyone can participate in it. And actually it's that work that produces its security. So if there's these proof-of-stake protocols, which Ethereum is planning on moving to, but that opens up, a, it, it's untested. Like, it, it's a risk to move into it, and that's why they keep pushing it out, pushing it back. They call it the difficulty bomb. So Ethereum's going to lift this difficulty bomb, which makes it impossible to mine it anymore, and then it moves into this proof-of-stake, but they keep delaying that because they know that actually it's an untested thing, um, especially as something that, is, that has to have security as absolute like, linchpin. The proof-of-work protocol mines around the world doing the work to run the Bitcoin uh, computational processing, the hashing, uh, the recording of the data, and essentially what is digital DNA. You've, you've got this, this chain of records, a chain of events that go back from the very first transaction. Now, if, anyone, if anyone were to try and reverse engineer that, that DNA strand, the blockchain, they'd have to use more energy than it took to mine that Bitcoin in the first place. And because it requires so much energy to build that blockchain on Bitcoin, that you'd basically have to build gigawatts of power stations just to rewind the blockchain, which is kind of unfeasible and impractical. And by the time you did it, you're known to be a bad actor and you'll know that that fork they're trying to create is a fork owned by a bad actor. People aren't going to use it. People are going to still, so you built all, you used all that energy to create a new version of it, but people know that and so they just use the old version. Right. And so it's like inherently built into it is this kind of like safety stops and these incentives that prevent people trying to manipulate it and, and destroy it. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Are you a manager running a solar sales team or an engineering team? Or maybe you're one of the engineers or salespeople on that team and you, like many of my friends, are waiting days on end until the engineering team can get back with a design because they're frankly backlogged and they're the critical path. Hey, look, can we stop the madness already and empower the sales and engineering team with a true productivity and accuracy tool? It's called Helioscope. 
Now, I could tell you all about how DNVGL report shows reliability to within 1% of their common models. And well-known banks like Wells Fargo accept Helioscope reports in place of PVSYST. But what you really need to know is that system design is no longer in the black box of engineers and CAD drawings. It is speeding up the sales process and quality for thousands of customers. 3D design, rapid proposals, bankable simulations, even one-click sharing through Energy Toolbase. The list goes on. Look, head over to mysuncast.com and click on the Helioscope banner on the homepage. And as a Suncast listener, you'll be given an extra 30 days to your free trial. That's right, 60 free days to see what Helioscope can do for you and your sales team. Helioscope is fast, easy, and bankable. So go ahead, start a free trial. Get 30 days on me. If you're enjoying Suncast and you'd like to have access, not just to all the additional stuff I can't publish in the primary feed, but also the back channel of conversation, chat, webinars, and inner circle advisory that other solar warriors are enjoying, consider checking out the Suncast tribe. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash member. So what are some key lessons or takeaways from some of the mentors in your life and not just that have impacted you, but that you are passing on to folks around you? I think number one is do what you're good at. And if you're not good at something, bring in someone that is good at that thing. Uh, I think number one, uh, I mean, I, I started Sun Exchange completely on my own and it, I didn't bring in additional people into the business until a year on in. I'd in fact launched Stellarbush Waldorf School Project and it's still just me. But as, as it progresses, you realize that actually, and I, I never intended to do it all on my own forever, don't get me wrong, but I just did start the business on my own. But as I built the team, as I brought in people, I brought in people that I knew were really good at that specific thing, not trying to bring in generalists, but, but specialists. And yes, when there's a task that needs, like, it doesn't really fit in any one category, you either have to share it or work out how it's done. But ultimately, is just do what you're good at and do what you enjoy. Because if you're not enjoying doing a task, then you're not going to either not do it very well or you're going to get really bored. Uh, and I, I enjoy communicating. I enjoy writing. I enjoy doing solar engineering and, and technical analysis. So that's that's what I've, I've created a role within the business. Even though I'm the CEO and the founder, I still get involved with reviewing the, the tech designs of the software, uh, working out the user journey and all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I, I love it. Uh, but when it comes to bookkeeping, uh, actual programming, Customer servicing. I mean, I, I do like to speak to our customers. I, I love speaking to our customers because people are really enthusiastic and love what Sun Exchange is doing. But I can't speak to every single customer all the time. But I've, yeah. we've brought in a community manager to do that. So it's just like just working out how can you make your life easier? How can I make my life easier? And how, who can we bring in to, to, to make it easier? Um, and then when you do that, you free your so time up to focus on doing things to help grow the business rather than just taking your time up running the business. You know, you're in Cape Town. Cape Town Beyond Energy has the largest most pronounced sort of public water crisis in the world. Do you see the work that you're doing with solar being able to extrapolate to other critical critical needs issues around the world? Fortunately, I must point out that it has now, we now have a wet winter. So the dams are now recovered to about 80%. So fortunately, that crisis has been alleviated, but it was yeah. very, very close. But I mean, it's, it's got to come down to um, desalinization or um, evaporative transport evapotranspiration basically extraction of, of water from the atmosphere right. uh, i mean we're right we're right next to the ocean so there is no shortage of water to get fresh water from you just don't want to do it in a way that's uh, kind of creates a salinity in the ocean which destroys ecosystems so there's got to be solutions with that but it's all going to take energy yeah so it's you got that energy is going to come from somewhere so let's make it solar energy is basically uh, yeah people are approaching us with well can we host water 
extract facilities on Sun Exchange and have a water exchange or a wind exchange. But ultimately, like the, the way that our legal, the legals of our, of our platform work, you have to have direct ownership of that asset. Mm-hmm. And that asset has to be proven what it is and you're getting paid for the work that asset does. Otherwise, it becomes a collective investment scheme. So you can't own a fraction of a wind turbine blade because that isn't a wind turbine. That's a fraction of a wind turbine blade. But you can own a solar cell and we know how much electricity that is produced because it's in a series circuit and we know what voltage is producing. And so we can pay you for the electricity your solar cell has actually produced. And and that's like why it's this direct ownership model allows it to work universally because it's about leasing. There's no rules. There's there's no restrictions on who can lease a product from one person to another. You can own an apartment and lease it to somebody. You don't need to get SEC approval to lease that apartment. It's It's your asset. You can lease it. So we enable that micro-leasing. Um, right. So that's why not all products are compatible with our platform. It has to be one where you have direct ownership of that. Underlying one, more, one more niggling question just around that very topic. What I heard, so what I'm questioning right now is whether you're saying, I can now own that solar cell and I can therefore lease it on the Sun Exchange to someone else? Yeah, well, so that's what the actual the exchange in the Sun Exchange also infers, that we are going to build a secondary marketplace around this. So people will eventually be able to trade their solar cells between one person and another. But of course, to have a market, you've got to have liquidity. So we've got to build up enough supply, enough operating solar cells before that kind of makes sense Mm. uh, and build a big enough community to actually want to trade between themselves. Uh, But it is on the the roadmap and we have a white paper that people could download from our our token sales site, which is the sunexchange.com slash token. They could download our white paper. Our full technology roadmap is in there so they can see how we're incorporating all the cryptocurrency pieces um, to enhance what we're already doing. Uh, I mean, I mean, ultimately, the ultimate vision of the Sun Exchange is to stream monetized sunshine around the world 24-7-365. And in order to do that, we've got to have solar projects all around the world, and that's got to be done in real time. You mentioned earlier that you uh, read roughly an hour a day. I believe that leaders are readers. It's exemplified in the way that you are trying to stay ahead of your peers. Well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called Leaders Eat Last, which is yeah, really good. Yeah, Simon said <laughs> Leaders Eat Last is phenomenal. I'll couch that as an, a recommendation for you. But what's on your nightstand? What are you reading right now? Uh, is there a book that you've given away the most? I'm, uh, the book I'm reading at the moment, the book I love giving away and telling people to read is 2001 Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke because it's so profound. It's so, it, it, it extends way beyond sci-fi. It goes into pure philosophy. Like what is consciousness? What, wow. how, where do we come from? Where is it going? And it's such an incredibly thought-provoking way. I love that book. And there's three more as well, 2010, 2061, and 3001. And just how they, how he imagines how humanity evolves and interacts with the cosmos at large is so incredible. What I was thinking to recommend to your listeners was, was a short story by Isaac Asimov called the, uh, it's called the Last Word. The reason why I recommend it is because it really calls into question this idea of infinite energy. And um, people often talk about free energy devices, which we know are fundamentally flawed, but really you don't want free energy because all energy breaks down to heat. And in this book, the free energy systems they've developed are basically extracting everything from the universe until the universe, in order to feed a computer to work out how to reverse entropy. Like they're trying to reverse like the, the, the breakdown back into chaos. And eventually the computer consumes the last atom, like sub-molecular particle of the entire universe. And I'm not going to say any more than that but it's fucking deep <laughs> yeah and i want to it, it, it twists my mind yeah and i'm looking it up now and i think perhaps it's the last question is it the last question 
I think it was the last word, but well, I, can, uh, I can't. Fi- I can't find a reference to the last word, but that be that okay. as it may, we'll we'll sync up on it. Yeah, and I'll, maybe, I'll maybe, it's it. a, maybe it's the last question. But the thing is that I, I've just discovered the reason why it made me think of that is because I'm now reading a book called "The Gods Themselves" by Isaac Asimov, which is basically the long version of that story um, where they've developed this thing called the electron pump, and they're basically sucking electrons from and, and trading electrons from one dimension to another. Um, and, and they realize that actually there's got to be something that's giving away here because you can't get energy from nothing. So there's actually a buildup of a positive and negative charge between the two universes. And I haven't finished reading the book yet, but something's going to break. I love it. <laughs> You're like, cause, because it's, uh, yeah, that's amazing. On the topic of blockchain and crypto, what resources, or you said you read several books to get started. How might mm. someone in my position who's trying to become more well-versed what education might you... Okay, I, I can only speak from my experience, sure. so I'm going to list the, book, list the books that got me into this. One is called Money, the Unauthorized Biography, like the history of money itself, because that, really that really kind of gets me realigned into understanding what money is, how, do, how does it work, what actually mm-hmm. is it, what defines money, understanding what that is first. Then I read a book called um, Cryptocurrency, and it was a book on cryptocurrency. I can't remember the authors, a series of authors. It had a bullet on the front, like a golden bullet cryptocurrency being the golden bullet and i read that and that was an amazing insight but that was written in 2013 so it's probably quite outdated they've probably written a pretty couple more sections on it since then um and then i read a book called how to speak money uh which is quite a it's quite a funnily it's a, it's a, almost like a, a dictionary on monetary terms uh-huh. that explains in plain terms what those words are because i'm from the energy industry i'm a climate change scientist when people are talking about financial terms like bailouts and derivatives and all this kind of stuff i do find it's like a foreign language and so I read this book that just kind of breaks down into layman's terms what these terms are. And this, I actually is realized John, this is John Lanchester, right? What, what the money people say? It, uh, it's actually, it was definitely called How to Speak Money. No, no, yeah, the subtitles, what yeah. the money people say. Uh, okay, that's what that it really exactly. means. Yeah, uh-huh. And it really, they're, just, they're making up words to make it sound, something really simple sound really clever and complicated. And they're try, basically trying to make themselves sound clever and finding oh, out yeah. words which <laughs> actually most of the time mean the opposite of what it's actually doing. Yeah. Like, like I said earlier, a bailout is actually a bail-in, for example. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's that, that was really fascinating. So now I'm kind of more, more feel more comfortable when I'm speaking to people who work with money because I can understand their bullshit. Awesome. On that note, <laughs> what one habit or consistent practice has had the greatest impact on your life or work? Uh, meditation and yoga. Absolutely. Um, w- waking up in the morning. I used to wake up in the morning, jump out of bed, grab a coffee, run to work. Now it's like, get up at least an hour or two earlier. Um, drink a glass of water first thing, like flush your system, do some yoga, stretch your spine out, like massage your internal organs, and, and then have breakfast or do some exercise. Like I go swimming in the ocean every morning and that completely rejuvenates myself. And every now morning. I start work like now yeah, every morning. And now I start work three hours after I've woken up. And yeah. I now like so energized in the day. I don't feel stressed. I've like had relaxation time in the morning and I do that time to read as well. Yeah, that was a breakthrough in my life because before, like, you get up, go to work, and then you finish work, and that's when you give yourself your relaxation time. But you're too exhausted to actually do anything. I know. So you I end know. up just like slobbing on the couch and watching shit. You've just explained yeah. my my ideal morning. Yeah, uh, exactly. So ocean. Basically, my my Sunday morning I now do every morning. I realize I love Sunday mornings. Why do I like it? Well, because I relax and I read a book and I go do exercise. Now I just fit that into every day. And, and also like like yoga and yoga followed by meditation allows me to actually reflect on what I'm doing and think about, I, I actually get, I know I probably should, but I meditate with a notepad next to me. So when I, if I do think of something, I can yeah. actually get it out of my mind, write it down so I can carry on meditating and not think, oh, I must remember that thing. I must remember that thing. That's so great. I just, that, it helps me like clear my mind and also write down what things that are, are important. 
Yeah, we could have a longer conversation and I'd love to, frankly, I'd love to have this discussion with you. But I think that people who get are trying to get into mindfulness get uh, they have the wrong idea about meditation. Meditation is not about clearing your mind. Yeah, it's, it's about just like calm, finding a calm space. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> the meditation is about slowing down. It's finding the ability to, to separate, to become the watcher, as they call it, right? To be able to see the chaos and not get caught up inside of it. And actually, you know, to your point, one of the things that one of my meditation teachers um, does is this, he, he says to envision this, this thing, you know, this sort of whirlwind circling you. And just like you do with writing down the things that, that, that surface for you, he suggests during the meditation to pluck out, to pull from this whirlwind mm. around you. You're sitting in the column in the center and pluck out the things mm. and sort of look at them, observe them mm. like, like as though they're the spherical object in your hand. We could go on for ages. How, how it, if someone wanted to reach out, how could they find you personally? And then obviously we'll give the website for Sun Exchange. I have my own Twitter channel. I don't really use it very much, but it's at AEB Cambridge, ABE Cambridge. So that's like, if, if I do have a LinkedIn account, I don't really use it. I find just lots of consult, like recruitment consultants use it. But I do have one people can reach around there. Twitter me. Um, I have an email, abraham.cambridge at thesunexchange.com. Uh, you can also try reaching us through, we have a Telegram channel. So yeah, actually that's probably the best way. Our Telegram, go to sunx underscore official on Telegram. I'm on there. The rest of our team's on there. Our whole Sun Exchange community is on there. So join our Telegram channel. You can meet. So that's S-U-N-X. S-U-N-X underscore official. That is on, on Telegram. Okay. If people don't really, uh, Telegram's used perfectly through the crypto community, but it's so good. It's so much better than WhatsApp. I don't know what the equivalent would be in America. I don't know WhatsApp's not very popular. There. there is um, no equivalent in America except perhaps yeah. Slack. And yeah. you know, SolarCoin has yeah. their Slack channel, but they Slack do. is its own silo. It's its own. Yeah, but it's, it's kind it's of that's probably, kind of, that's Telegram, is like the, Telegram is like the so, European version of what of uh, WeChat. Yeah, it, it, it's just anyone can join a channel. Anyone can talk. You can post stuff, share stuff, files, videos, whatever. Um, and it's just a great way for the community to come together and ask questions. And we've got admins that answer questions. So rather than sending us an email, we've got a query about our, our company, you can just go through a telegram. And the website is thesunexchange.com, correct? Yeah, thesunexchange.com. Is there something that you, you've, got a, you've got a platform, you've probably impressed a number of folks today. What ask might you have of the, of the Suncast audience? Be good to each other. Well said. Finally, let's no, hang on. No, hang on. No. Be, be, ec be excellent, excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other. Fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Well, let's end today, as we always do, with one bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Graphene solar cells, carbon-based semiconductors, biodegradable carbon-based semiconductors that are cheap to produce, biodegradable, don't require much energy to manufacture. Wow. That's going to replace silicon. Anything with the silicon in it is going to be raised by graphene. Um, you can make it with a laser. It's just made of carbon. We can now sequester. Imagine you can sequester the carbon from the air to manufacture graphene. means you can literally yeah. turn a negative into a positive. We can sequester yeah. carbon dioxide and create cells made yeah. to harvest and the, and the, the solar. And the, and the graphene you're making can be used to use a semiconductor photovoltaic purposes or is also used in supercapacitors. How far, so out, now, how far out are we from, from this reality? I'd I would really like to think we could do it in 10 years. Within ten years, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've been tracking this stuff since about two thousand and ten, and and this stuff was first going undergoing trials. A lot of it's being pointed out of Manchester in the UK, but I think what they're trying to now do is develop the tooling required to make it on a commercial scale because they know how to make it; they just don't have the machines to make the things, and that's what they're probably trying to work on at the moment. As All soon right, as we so got that, we got way cheaper photovoltaics and 
batteries which can be charged instantly and dissipate large power over a long period of time and the inverse. Solar Warriors, I hope your brain is throbbing uh, as much as mine. Uh, This has been a totally information-packed wild ride with Abraham Cambridge of the Sun Exchange. Thank you for coming on Suncast and and really expanding our knowledge and our, our capacity here. Thank you very much for having me and give me this opportunity to speak to your amazing audience. Thank you. I have loved it. I just uh, I, so Solar Warriors, reach please reach out to Abe. Uh, I invite you. I will be doing something with Sun Exchange. I don't know what it is yet. Uh, hell, I may create a fund that uh, that protects unwitting or protects unwilling U.S. investors by by converting by giving them a U.S. dollar hedge, and I'll invest in Sun Exchange. I got to think through this, but. My brain is worrying here, and I'm really excited about what Abe and those like him are doing and how we're leveraging these new technologies to bring energy access and equity to the world. I think it's a powerful statement, and it's a fundamental philosophy of how many of us are living our lives. So I I challenge you, figure out a way to connect and to help what Abe is doing with Sun Exchange, or figure out how to make products that will uh that will the tools that will create graphene solar cells because you you would you would then change the world (laughs) in more in meaningful ways it will be in touch brother and uh and i look forward to a follow-up we'll we'll definitely have you back on suncast great and keep up the good work your podcasts are awesome thank you well that was one really interesting and informative dive into how the blockchain and cryptocurrencies are being leveraged to fund solar and a compelling argument for their application wouldn't you say i'd love to hear from you tribe what are your thoughts on blockchain will you join me in creating some sort of investment in sun exchange are you a skeptic that's all right so was i i'd love to hear your reasoning for it hit me up on twitter at nico mayo that's n-i-c-o-m-e-o uh, or shoot me an email or LinkedIn. My email is nico at mysuncast.com. And since you're obviously in an action-taking mood, I'd like to encourage you to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I share my thoughts on each episode and let you know whenever I think there's something interesting that you should know about in the world. Like the next episodes of Suncast, of course, but also where I'm going to be in the world and how we can meet up, new ways for you to learn and stay ahead of the pack. You can also check out our Suncast tribe while you're there. That's my inner circle of listeners and advisors by clicking on the member button. Next up on Suncast. It's allowed me to travel to uh, Kenya and Inner Mongolia and several places, um, bringing solar to schools in those uh, regions. On Tuesday, we'll chat with Adam Hall, founder of Million Solar Stars Initiative, about how he took that idea from inception to a partnership with Jane Goodall. In the meantime, I look forward to interacting with you via Twitter, LinkedIn, and inside the Suncast tribe, Slack, and WhatsApp channels. Power on, Solar Warriors. And if you're not a tribe member yet, I look forward to someday welcoming you into our tribe, my friend. Thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle.